irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. The Sapphire Planet. Star Wars, later retitled Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope, is a 1977 American epic space opera film written and directed by George Lucas. The first release in the Star Wars saga. It stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Cushing, and Alec Guinness. David Prowse, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, and Peter Mayhew co-star in supporting roles. The plot focuses on the Rebel Alliance, led by Princess Leia, and its attempt to destroy the Galactic Empire space station, the Death Star. This conflict disrupts the isolated life of ambitious farmhand Luke Skywalker when he inadvertently acquires a pair of droids that possesses stolen architectural plans for the Death Star. After the Empire begins a destructive search for the missing droids, Skywalker agrees to accompany Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi on a mission to return the Death Star plans to the Rebel Alliance and save the galaxy from the tyranny of the Galactic Empire. Lucas began writing the script to Star Wars after completing his 1973 comedy drama, American Graffiti. He based the plot outline on the 1936 Flash Gordon serials and the 1958 Akira Kurosawa film, The Hidden Fortress. After United Artists and Universal Pictures rejected Lucas's script, Alan Ladd Jr., of 20th Century Fox accepted it 
and agreed to finance and distribute the film. Shot mostly in Tunisia, England, and Guatemala, the film was met with numerous problems during production, including bad weather conditions, malfunctioning equipment, and financial difficulties. The script underwent numerous changes, and Lucas founded Industrial Light and Magic specifically to create the groundbreaking visual effects needed for the film. Star Wars was released theatrically in the United States on May 25, 1977. It earned $461 million in the United States and $314 million overseas, totaling $775 million. It surpassed Jaws in 1975 to become the highest-grossing film of all time until E.T. the Extraterrestrial filmed in 1982. When adjusted for inflation, as of the year 2013, Star Wars was the second-highest-grossing film in the United States and Canada and the third-highest-grossing film in the world. It received 10 Academy Award nominations, including for Best Picture, and it won seven. It was selected to become part of the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress in its first year of opening as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. At the time, it was the newest film to be selected and it was the only film from the 1970s to be chosen. The film's soundtrack was added to the United States National Recording Registry 15 years later. Today, Star Wars is often regarded as one of the greatest films of all time, and is also, alongside The Birth of the Nation and Citizen Kane, considered by many to be one of the most important films in the history of motion pictures. George Lucas has re-released Star Wars a number of times, incorporating many changes, including modified computer-generated effects, altered dialogue, re-edited shots, remixed soundtracks, and added scenes. The film's massive success led to the production of two sequels, The Empire Strikes Back in 1980 and Return of the Jedi in 1983 both of which became critically and commercially successful. A prequel trilogy was later released between 1999 and 2005. All three films were again commercially successful, but did not match the level of critical and fanatical acclaim of the original trilogy. In early 2014, a sequel trilogy began production with the majority of the cast members from the original trilogy remaining for the seventh installment, The Force Awakens, which is scheduled for release in the year 2015. The Galaxy 
is in a civil war, and spies for the Rebel Alliance have stolen plans to the Galactic Empire's Death Star. A heavily armed and armored space station capable of destroying entire planets. Rebel leader Princess Leia is in possession of the plans, but her ship is captured by Imperial forces under the command of evil Lord Darth Vader. Before she is captured, Princess Leia hides the plans in the memory of an astromech droid called R2-D2, along with a holographic recording. The droid, accompanied by fellow protocol droid C-3PO, escapes from the captured ship to the desert planet Tatooine. The droids are captured by Jawa traders, who sell the pair of two moisture farmers, Owen and Beru Lars, and their nephew, Luke Skywalker. While he cleans the R2-D2, Luke accidentally triggers the playing of a part of Leia's recording, in which she requests help from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Luke wonders if she's referring to Ben Kenobi, a hermit who lives nearby. Then he retires for the evening. The next morning, Luke finds R2-D2 searching for Obi-Wan and meets Ben, who reveals himself to be Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan tells Luke of his days as a Jedi who were a fraction of a form of galactic peacekeepers with supernatural powers derived from an energy field called the Force and who were conquered by the Empire. Contrary to his uncle's assertion, Luke learns that his father fought alongside Obi-Wan Kenobi as a Jedi Knight, Jedi Knight before he was betrayed and murdered by Vader. Obi-Wan's formal pupil who turned to the dark side of the Force. Obi-Wan then offers Luke his father's lightsaber. Obi-Wan then views Princess Leia's complete message, in which she begs him to take the Death Star plans to her home planet of Alderaan and give them to her father for analysis. Obi-Wan invites Luke to accompany him to Alderaan and become a student of the Force. Luke initially declines, but after discovering that Imperial stormtroopers searching for C-3PO and R2-D2 have destroyed his home and killed his aunt and uncle, he changes his mind. Obi-Wan and Luke visit the Moss Elzi's cantina and hire smuggler Han Solo and his Wookiee's first mate Chewbacca to transport them to Alderaan on their ship, the Millennium Falcon. Arriving at their destination, they find only debris. Alderaan has been destroyed by order of the Death Star's commanding officer, Grand Moff Tarkin, as a demonstration of the Death Star's power. The Falcon is captured by the Death Star's tractor beam and is brought into its hangar bay. While Obi-Wan attempts to disable the tractor beam, R2-D2 discovers that Princess Leia is imprisoned aboard. With the help of Han and Chewbacca, Luke rescues her. After several harrowing escapes, the group makes its way back to the Falcon. Obi-Wan engages in a lightsaber duel with Darth Vader and is killed. The Falcon escapes the Death Star, but unknowingly carries a homing device that enables Tarkin and Vader to track the Rebels' hidden base on Yavin 4. 
The Rebels' analysis of the Death Star plans reveal a vulnerable exhaust port that connects to the station's main reactor. They plan a mission to attack it. Luke joins the Rebel Assault Squadron, while Han collects his payment for the transport and tends to leave, despite Luke's request that he stay and help. In the subsequent battle, the Rebels suffer heavy losses after several unsuccessful attack runs, leaving Luke as the one of the few surviving pilots. Vader leads a squad of TIE fighters and prepares to attack Luke's X-Ring ship, but Han returns and fires on the Imperials, sending Vader spiraling away. Helped by spiritual advice from Obi-Wan, instructing him to use the Force, Luke successfully destroys the Death Star, killing Tarkin seconds before he can fire on the Rebel base. Princess Leia later awards Luke and Han Solo medals for their heroism. The cast consists of Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, a young man raised by his aunt and uncle in Tatooine, who dreams of something more than his current life. Lucas favored casting young actors who lacked long experience. To play Luke, Lucas sought actors who would project intelligence and integrity. While reading for the character, Hamlin found the dialogue to be extremely odd because of its universe-embedded concepts. He chose to simply read it sincerely, and he was selected instead of William Catt, who was subsequently cast in the Brian De Palma-directed Carrie. Lucas shared a joint casting session with De Palma, a longtime friend of his. Harrison Ford is Han Solo, a cynical smuggler hired by Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke to take them to Alderaan in his ship the Millennium Falcon, which is co-piloted by Chewbacca. Lucas initially rejected casting Ford for the role, as he wanted new faces. Ford had previously worked with the director on American Graffiti. Instead, Lucas asked the actor to assist in the auditions by reading lines with the other actors and explaining the concepts and history behind the scenes that were they were reading. Lucas was eventually won over by Ford's portrayal and cast him instead of Kurt Russell, Nick Nolte, Sylvester Stallone, Bill Murray, Christopher Walken, Burt Reynolds, Jack Nicholson, Al Pacino, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Billy D. Williams, who, incidentally, later played Lando Calrissian in the sequels, and Peter and Perry King, who later played Han Solo in the radio plays. Carrie Fisher was cast as Princess Leia, a member of the Imperial Senate and leader of the Rebel Alliance. Many young actresses in Hollywood auditioned for the role of Princess Leia, including Amy Irving, Terry Nunn, Cindy Williams, and Jodie Foster. Foster turned down the role because she was already under contract with Disney and working on two films at the time. Carrie Fisher was cast under the condition that she lose 10 pounds for the role.
Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin, Governor of the Imperial Outland Regions and Commander of the Death Star. Lucas originally had Cushing in mind for the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi, but Lucas believed that his lean features would be better employed in the role of Grand Moff Tarkin instead. Lucas commended Cushing's performance, saying, He's a very good actor, adored and idolized by young people and by people who go to see a certain kind of movie. I feel he will be fondly remembered for the next 350 years at least. Cushing, commenting on his role, joked, I often wondered what a grand moth was. It sounds something that flew out of the cupboard. Alex Guinness as Obi-Wan Ben Kenobi, an aging Jedi who fought during the Clone Wars and who introduced Luke to the Force. Lucas's decision to cast unknowns was not taken favorably by his friend Francis Ford Coppola and the studio. Lucas needed an established actor to play the important Obi-Wan Kenobi character. Producer Gary Kurt said, The Alex Guinness role required a certain stability and gravitas as a character, which meant we needed a very, very strong character actor to play that part. Before Guinness was cast, Japanese actor Toshiro Mifuni, who also starred in Akira Koshura's The Hidden Fortress, was considered for the role. Guinness was one of the few cast members who believed that the film would be successful. He negotiated a deal for 2% of the one-fifth gross royalties paid to George Lucas, which made him quite wealthy later in life. He agreed to take the part of Kenobi on the condition that he would not have to do any publicity to promote the film. Lucas credited him with inspiring the cast and crew to work harder, saying that Guinness contributed significantly to the completion of the filming. Harrison Ford said, It was, for me, fascinating to watch Alec Guinness. He was always prepared, always professional, always very kind to the other actors. He had a very clear head about how to serve the story. David Prowse as Darth Vader, which was voiced by James Earl Jones, the second in command of the Galactic Empire, whose hopes to destroy the Rebel Alliance. Lucas originally attended for Orson Welles to voice Vader. After dismissing using Prowse's own voice due to his English West Country accent, After deciding that Wells' voice would be too recognizable, he cast the lesser-known James Earl Jones instead. Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, a protocol droid who speaks over six million languages. Daniels auditioned for and was cast as C-3PO, He has said that he wanted the role after he saw a Ralph Macquarie drawing of the character and was struck by the vulnerability to the robot's face. Initially, Lucas did not intend to use Daniel's voice for C-3PO, 
30 well-established voice actors read for the voice of the droid. According to Daniels, one of the major voice actors, believed by some sources to be Stan Freeberg, recommended Daniels voice for the role. Kenny Baker is R2-D2, an astromech droid who is carrying the Death Star plans and a secret message for Obi-Wan from Princess Leia. While Lucas was filming in London, where additional casting took place, Baker, performing in a musical comedy act with his acting partner, Jack Purvis, learned that the film crew was looking for a small person to fit inside a robot suit and maneuver it. Baker, who is 3 feet 8 inches, or 1.1 meters tall, was cast immediately after meeting George Lucas. He said, He saw me come in and he said, He'll do, because I was the smallest guy they'd seen up until then. He initially turned down the role three times, hesitant to appear in a film where his face would not be shown, and hoping to continue the success of his comedy act, which has recently started to be televised. Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca, a 200-year-old Wookiee, Han Solo sidekick, and first mate of the Millennium Falcon. Mayhew learned of a casting call for Star Wars, which was filming in London, and decided to audition. The 7-foot, 3-inch, or 2.2-meter-tall actor was immediately cast as Chewbacca after he stood up to greet Lucas. He said... I sat down on one of the sofas waiting for George. The door opened and George walked in with Gary behind him. So naturally, what did I do? I'm raised in England. Soon as someone comes in through the door, I stand up. George goes, hmm, looked up, virtually turned to Gary and said, I think we found him. He was actually eligible for either of the two roles, Chewbacca or Darth Vader. He chose the former because he wanted to play a hero. British actor David Prowse took the other. Mayhew modeled his performance of Chewbacca after the mannerisms of animals he saw at public zoos. Other characters include Owen and Bira. Luke's uncle and aunt are portrayed by Phil Brown and Sheila Frazier, respectively. Jack Purvis, Kenny Baker's partner in his London comedy act, appears as the chief Jawa in the film. Eddie Byrne performs the role of General Vanden Willard, a general during the Galactic Civil War. Actors Dennis Lawson and Garrick Hagon were cast as rebel pilots, Wedge Antilles and Biggs Darklighter, also Luke's childhood friend. And Don Henderson and Leslie Schofield play Imperial Generals Cassio Tag and Mortimer Bast, respectively. How did all this come together? Elements of the history of Star Wars are commonly disputed, as George Lucas' statements about it have changed over time. 
Lucas has said that it was as early as 1971, after he completed directing his first full-length feature, THX 1138, that he first had an idea for a space fantasy film, though he has also claimed to have the idea long before then. Originally, Lucas wanted to adapt the Flash Gordon space adventure comics and serials into his own films, having been fascinated by it since he was young. In 1979, he said, I especially love the Flash Gordon serials. Of course, I realize now how crude and badly done they were. Loving them that much when they were so awful, I began to wonder what would happen if they were done really well. At the Cannes Film Festival in May, following the completion of THX 1138, Lucas was granted a two-film development deal with United Artists. The two films were, one, American American Graffiti, and two, an untitled Flash Gordon-esque space fantasy film. He pushed towards buying the Flash Gordon rights. George Lucas said, I wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie with all the trimmings, but I couldn't obtain the rights to the character. So I began researching and went right back to where I found Alex Raymond, who had done the original Flash Gordon comic strips in the newspaper, and got an idea from him. I discovered that he'd got his inspiration from the works of Edgar Rice Burroughs, the author of Tarzan, and especially from his John Carter of Mars series books. I read through that series and then found that what had sparked Burroughs off was a science fantasy called Gulliver on Mars, written by Edwin Arnold and published in the year 1905. That was the first story in the genre that I've been able to trace. Jules Verne had gotten pretty close, I suppose, but he'd never had a hero battling against space creatures or having adventures on another planet. A whole new genre developed from that idea. Director Francis Ford Coppola, who accompanied Lucas in buying the Flash Gordon rights, recounted in 1999 that George was very depressed because he had just come back and they wouldn't sell him the Flash Gordon rights. And then he said, well... I'll just invent my own. Lucas envisioned his own space opera and called it the Star Wars. After his failed attempt to gain the rights, Lucas went to United Artists and showed the script for American Graffiti, but they passed on the film, which was then picked up by Universal Pictures. United Artists also passed on Lucas's The Star Wars concept which he shelved from the time being. After spending the next two years completing American Graffiti, Lucas turned his attention to the Star Wars. Lucas began writing in January 1973, eight hours a day, five days a week, by taking small notes, inventing odd names, and assigning them possible characterizations. Lucas would discard many of these by the time the final script was written, but he included several names 
and places in the final script or its sequels. He revived others decades later when he wrote his prequel trilogy. He used these initial names and ideas to compile a two-page synopsis titled Journal of the Wills, which he told the tale of the training of apprentice C.J. Thorpe as a Jedi Bendu space commando by the legendary Mace Windu. Frustrated that his story was too difficult to understand, Lucas then began writing a 13-page treatment called The Star Wars on April 17, 1973, which had thematic parallels with Akira Kurosawa's 1958 film, The Hidden Fortress. After United Artists declined to budget the film, Lucas and producer Gary Kurtz presented the film treatment to Universal Pictures, the studio that financed American Graffiti. However, it rejected its options for the film because the concept was a little strange, and it said that Lucas should allow American gra- follow American Graffiti with more consequential themes. Lucas said, I've always been an outsider to Hollywood types. They think I do weirdo films. According to Kurtz, Lou Wasserman, the studio's head, just didn't think much of science fiction at that time. Didn't think it had much of a future then with that particular audience. He said that science fiction wasn't popular in the mid-70s. What seems to be The case generally is that the studio executives are looking for what is popular last year rather than trying to look forward to what might be popular next year. Lucas explained in 1977 that his film is not about the future and that it is about fantasy much closer to the Brothers Grimm than it is to 2001. He added, My main reason for making it was to give young people an honest, wholesome fantasy life, the kind that a generation had. We had westerns, pirate movies, all kinds of great things. Now they have a $6 million man in Kojak. Where are the romance, the adventure, and the fun that used to be in practically every movie made? Kurtz said, although Star Wars wasn't like that at all, it was just sort of lumped into that same kind of science fiction category. There were also concerns regarding the project's potentially high budget. Lucas and Kurtz, in pitching the film, said that it would be low-budget, Roger Corman style, and that the budget was never going to be more than, well, originally we had proposed about $8 million. It ended up being about $10 million. Both of those figures are very low budget by Hollywood standards at the time. After Walt Disney Productions rejected the project, Lucas and Kurtz persisted in securing a studio to support the film because other people had read it and said, yeah, it could be a good idea. Lucas pursued Alan Ladd Jr., the head of 20th Century Fox, and in June 1973, completed a deal to write 
and direct the film. Although Ladd did not grasp the technical side of the project, he believed that Lucas was talented. Lucas later stated that Ladd invested in me. He did not invest in the movie. The deal gave Lucas $150,000 to write and direct the film. Since commencing his writing process in January 1973, Lucas had done various rewrites in the evenings after the day's work. He would write four different screenplays for Star Wars, searching for just the right ingredients, characters, and storylines. It's always been what you might call a good idea in the search of a story. By May 1974, he had expanded the film treatment into a rough draft, screenplay, adding elements such as the Sith, the Death Star, and a general by the name of Anakin Starkiller. He changed Starkiller to an adolescent boy, and he shifted the general into a supporting role as a member of the family of dwarves. Lucas envisioned the Corellian smuggler Han Solo as a large, green-skinned monster with gills. He based Chewbacca on his Alaskan Malamute dog, Indiana. Indiana, whom he would later use as a namesake for his character, Indiana Jones. His dog, Indiana, was often the director's co-pilot by sitting in the passenger seat of his car. Lucas began researching the science fiction genre by watching films and reading books and comics. His first script incorporated ideas from many new sources. The script would also introduce the concept of a Jedi master, father and his son, who trains to be a Jedi under his father's friend. This would ultimately form the basis for the film and later the trilogy. However, in this draft, the father is a hero who is still alive at the start of the film. Lucas completed a second draft of the Star Wars in January 1975, making heavy simplifications and introducing the young hero on a farm as Luke's Starkiller. Anakin became Luke's father, a wise Jedi Knight. The Force was also introduced as a mystical energy field. The second draft still had some differences from the final version in the characters and the relationships. For example, Luke had several brothers, as well as his father, who appears in a minor role at the end of the film. The script became more of a fairy tale quest as opposed to the action-adventure of the previous version. This version ended with another text crawl, previewing the next story in the series. This draft was also the first to introduce the concept of a Jedi turning to the dark side. The draft included a historical Jedi who became the first to ever fall to the dark side and then trained the Sith to use it. Impressed with his works, Lucas hired conceptual artist Ralph McQuarrie to create paintings of certain scenes around this time. 
When Lucas delivered his screenplay to the studio, he included several Macquarie's paintings. A third draft, dated August 1, 1975, was titled The Star Wars, From the Adventure of Luke Starkiller. This third draft had most of the elements of the final plot, with only some differences in the characters and settings. The draft characterized Luke as an only child, with his father already dead, replacing him with a substitute named Ben Kenobi. This script would be rewritten for the fourth and final draft, dated January 1st, 1976, as the Star as the Adventures of Luke Starkiller, as taken from the journals of the Wills Saga 1, The Star Wars. George Lucas worked with his friends Gloria Katz and Willard Huck to revise the fourth draft in the final pre-production script. 20th Century Fox approved the budget of $8.25 million. American Graffiti's positive reception afforded Lucas the leverage necessary to renegotiate his deal with Alan Ladd Jr. and request the sequel rights to the film. For Lucas, this deal protected Star Wars, unwritten segments, and most of the merchandising profits. Lucas finished writing his script in March 1976 when the crew started filming. He said what finally emerged through the many drafts of the scripts has obviously been influenced by science fiction and action adventure I've read and seen. And I've seen a lot of it. I'm, not, I'm trying to make a classic sort of genre picture, a classic space fantasy in which all the influences are working together. There are certain traditional aspects of the genre I wanted to keep and help perpetrate in the Star Wars. During production, he changed Luke's name from Star Killer to Scar Walker and altered the title to The Star Wars and later to just Star Wars. He would also continue to tweak the script during filming, including adding the death of Obi-Wan after realizing he served no purpose in the ending of the film. As for the film's opening crawl, Lucas originally wrote a composition consisting of six paragraphs with four sentences each. He said the crawl is such a hard thing because you have to be careful that you're not using too many words that people don't understand. It's like a poem. Lucas showed his draft to his friends. Director Brian De Palma, who was there, described it. The crawl at the beginning looks like it was written on a driveway. It just goes on forever. It's gibberish. Lucas recounted that De Palma said the first time he saw it, George, you're out of your mind. Let me sit down and write this for you. De Palma helped to edit the text into the form used in the film today.
In designing of the film, George Lucas recruited many conceptual designers, including Colin Cantwell, who worked on 2001, A Space Odyssey, back in 1968. To conceptualize the initial spacecraft models, Alex Talavaris to create the preliminary conceptual storyboard sketches of each early scripts, and Ralph McQuarrie to visualize the characters, costumes, props, and scenery. McQuarrie's pre-production paintings of certain scenes from Lucas's early screenplay drafts helped 20th Century Fox visualize the film, which positively influenced their decision to fund the project. After McQuarrie's drawings for Lucas's colleague Hal Berrywood and Matthew Robbins, who were collaborating for a film, caught his interest, Lucas met with McQuarrie to discuss his plans for the then-untitled space fantasy film he wanted to make. Two years later, after completing American Graffiti, Lucas approached McQuarrie and asked him if he'd be interested in doing something for Star Wars. McQuarrie produced a series of artworks from simple sketches. These set a visual tone for the film and for the rest of the original trilogy. The film was ambitious as Lucas wanted to create fresh prop prototypes and sets based on McQuarrie's paintings that have never been realized before in science fiction films. He commissioned production designer John Barry and Roger Christian who were working on the sets of the film Lucky Lady in 1975, when Lucas first approached them to work on the production sets. Roger Christian recounted in 2014, George came to the set I was doing. It was an old salt factory design, and he helped me shovel salt, just like two students in plaid shirts and sneakers. And we spoke, and he looked at the set, and he couldn't believe it wasn't real. They had a conversation with Lucas on what would like the film to appear like. With them creating the desired sets, Christian said that Lucas didn't want anything in Star Wars to stand out. He wanted it to look all real and used. And I said, finally, somebody's doing it the right way. Lucas described a used furniture concept to the production designers in which all devices, ships, and buildings looked aged and dirty. Instead of following the traditional sleekness and futuristic architecture of science fiction films that came before, the Star Wars sets were designed to look inhabited and used. Barry said that the director wants it to make it look like it's shot on location on your average everyday Death Star or most Isley spaceport or local cantina. Lucas believed that what is required for true credibility is a used furniture opposing the interpretations of future and the most futurist movies that always look new and clean and shiny. Christian supported Lucas's vision, saying, All science fiction before was very plastic and stupid uniforms and Flash Gordon stuff. 
Nothing was new. George was going right out against that. The designer started working with the director before Star Wars was approved by 20th Century Fox. For four to five months in a studio in Kensal Rise, England, they attempted to plan the creation of the props and set with no money. Although Lucas initially provided funds using his earnings from American Graffiti, it was inadequate. They could not afford to dress the sets. Christian was forced to use unconventional methods and materials to achieve the desired look. He suggested that Lucas use scrap in making the dressings, and the director agreed. Christian said, I've always had this idea. I used to do it with models when I was a kid. I'd stick things on them, and we make these things look old. Barry Christian and their team began designing the props and set as Elstree Studios. According to Christian, the Millennium Falcon set was the most difficult to build. Christian wanted the interior of the Falcon to look like that of a submarine. He found scrap airplane metal that no one wanted in those days and bought them. He began his creation process by breaking down jet engines into scrap pieces, giving him a chance to stick in the sets in specific way. It took him several weeks to finish the chess set, which he described as the most encrusted set in the hold of the Millennium Falcon. The garbage compactor set was also pretty hard because I knew I had actors in there and the walls had to come in and they had to be in dirty water and I had to get stuff that would be light enough so it wouldn't hurt them but also not bobbing around. A total of 30 sets consisting of planets, starships, caves, control rooms, cantinas, and the Death Star corridors were created. All of the nine sound stages at Els Tree were used to accommodate them. The massive Rebel hangar set was housed as a second sound stage at Shepperton Studios. The stage is the largest in Europe. In 1975, Lucas formed his own visual effects company, Industrial Light and Magic, after discovering that 20th Century Fox's visual effects department had been disbanded. ILM, as it's known, began its work on Star Wars in a warehouse in Van Nuys, California. Most of the visual effects used pioneering digital motion control photography developed by John Dykstra and his team, which created the illusion of size by employing small models and slow-moving cameras. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet.
Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.